Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. So good morning, everybody. How are you? Are you doing well? Would you tell me if you weren't? Probably, yeah. Uh, Good morning, uh, our satellite at Mecca. How are you this morning? Uh, Good morning, everyone who's online or 97.3 listening to us this morning. Do you know, friends, that I'm delighted today because I have the opportunity to bring the Word of God? Friends, let me me tell you something. The last thing I want to do is hear myself speak or let others just hear me speak. What I have always prayed and continue to pray is that the Word of God will come to life through God using me to do it. That He would give me the words that He wants His people to hear. And I always pray that anything that might come to my mind comes from God. Anything that is written on my heart comes from Him. That that nothing comes from my own understanding. Nothing comes from the other side. Everything is the Word of God, and it can be backed up and proven completely in the Scripture. That's always my prayer. And I know that sometimes, uh, unless you're a real entertaining pastor, uh, sermons can be rather boring. I know that because I've heard people say that their pastor's message was boring. Now, I know none of you would ever say that, uh, but hey, it does happen. And so I want to share with you this morning things that you can do during boring sermons. Are you ready? I thought this was kind of cute, and I thought you needed a little bit of uplift before we get into the heavy-duty stuff. You can pass a note to the organist asking whether he or she plays requests. You can see if a yawn really is contagious. You can slap your neighbor. See if they turn the other cheek. If not, raise your hand and tell the preacher. (laughs) Devise ways of climbing into the balcony without using stairs. And praise the Lord, we don't have one. Listen to your preacher uh, for using the word beginning with an A and then a B and then so on throughout the alphabet. Sit on the back row. Roll a handful of marbles under the pews ahead of you. And then after the service, credit yourself with 10 points for every marble that made it to the front. (laughs) In my previous church, you could have done it because it had a, a slope. So it, was, it could have worked. Uh, using church bulletins or visitor cards for raw materials, design, test, and modify a collection of paper airplanes. Start from the back of the church and try to crawl all the way to the front under the pews without being noticed. <laughs> Raise your hand and ask the preacher for permission to use the restroom. Don't. <laughs> Wipe out, or whip out a hanky and blow your nose. Vary the pressure exerted on your nostrils and trumpet out a rendition of your favorite hymn. Chew gum. If the sermon goes for more than 15 minutes, start blowing bubbles. I wouldn't advise it. (laughs) Try to indicate to the preacher that his fly is undone, whether it is or not. If it wasn't, apologize after the services, citing dirty glasses or your contacts not being in as an excuse. Yeah. By unobtrusively drawing your arms up into your sleeves, turn your shirt around backwards. If the sermon goes for more than 20 minutes, challenge those around you to do it too. Sit at the back of the church. Most of you do that. Well, you guys are pretty round today. Uh, sit at the back of the church without drawing attention to yourself. Throw spitballs at others and then give them disapproving looks when they turn around. <laughs> sit at the back of the church. Slowly crawl under the pew ahead of you. Try to take the shoes and socks off of the people in front of you without drawing the attention of the pastor. Greg, don't even think about it. Just saying. <laughs> and I'm sure that got some chuckles up at Mecca. Okay, so, friends... <laughs> this is our time. You may not like it, but it's your time. I have watched several clips from various movies that I find very inspiring uh, over the last couple of weeks. And in them, uh, these coaches or pastors or motivational speakers 
always said, this is our time. It happened in several football movies that I enjoy. It happened in, well, certainly in Miracle, which is the uh, 1980 Olympic hockey team. I, I remember that. I remember, I remember going to the pastor of our little United Methodist Church on that Sunday morning and saying, hey, uh, we're playing, you know, uh, for, for the world championship, you know, to be the gold medal, and can you please keep the message short? I actually asked him that as a teenager, and he said he would. So, and he did, bless his heart. His name was John Belanti. He was a good guy, and his, his son was a good friend of mine. So in any case, uh, you know, Belanti's, if you're listening, it's still, still in my head. And so anyway, uh, these things, are, it's, it's our time. It's our time. See, you don't live in someone else's time. I think in today's day and age, we're trying to live in another time than it is. A lot of parents, a lot of grandparents are trying to live through their kids' and grandkids' lives. They're so fearful. I said that a couple weeks ago. They're so fearful that their kids or grandkids are, are going to miss something. And so we force our kids to do things that even they don't want to really want to do. I mean, I've seen it time and again. Okay? And there's a danger of that. Friends, their time is not our time. Your time is not their time. Everybody has their own time. But we all collectively live in this time. And if you are alive today, this is our time. It's our time. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Habakkuk, believe it or not. It's really in the Scripture. There really is a, a book called that. And I'll give you just a few extra seconds because I know you have to look at the front of your Bible to find out what page it's on. Because not many of you know where it lies. Okay? Habakkuk is with one B and two Ks. Okay? And then a third K at the end. You understand? H-A-B, right? A-K-K-U-K. Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet. He has a lot he wants to talk to us about this morning. He had his time. We have our time. But here's the beauty. The Word of God is for all time. Okay? Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 to 5. And then scroll over to the next chapter and, and put your hand or your finger on verse 2 of chapter 3. Okay? I'm going to read out the New American Standard today. There's a reason why. It is a direct translation. Not that the NIV is bad, it's not. But the words are a little different here based on what I believe Habakkuk was actually trying to say. And notice that he says here in verse 2, Then the Lord answered me and said. Now, whenever the Lord answers and says something, I, I perk up. Because that's God talking. Agreed? So the Lord answered and he said this. Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. See, this is the future. You understand that? God's going to make sure something happens. Look at this. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. So what God ordains is going to happen. What God says will happen will happen. What God says we're going to go through, we will. Do you understand that? Anybody disagree with that? Does everybody agree with it? Uh, hello? Okay. Well, make sure you're listening. Though it tarries, and sometimes things do, wait for it. Now, that's a word we use a lot. Wait for it. Wait for it, right? Okay. This, you didn't know that's biblical, did you? Okay. Wait for it, for it will certainly come, and it won't delay. Because our delay is not God's delay. Amen? Our time is not God's time, right? God's timing is always correct. Amen? Behold, he says, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. Obviously. Agreed? But the righteous will live by his faith. See, this is, this is the central theme of the scripture anyway. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, which is another word for hell. You understand that? Okay, and he is like death, never satisfied, meaning never satisfied. Death in this instance could mean Satan. You understand that? Because Satan is a representative of death. He's the reason why we have death in the first place. Amen? Okay. He, he also gathers to himself all nations and collects himself to all peoples. Now, there's a lot of things I could say about that, but the beauty of it, if you scroll over to uh, chapter 3, verse 2, listen to this. 
and he, he says a lot more, Habakkuk does. But now, as he says, as the Lord speaks to him, now, after he's finished listening to what the Lord says, he begins to pray. And this is what he says. Lord, okay, oh Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. I have heard the report about you, and I fear, or I was afraid. Okay? Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known, but in wrath, remember your mercy. That's huge. Why? Friends, this is a prayer from the prophet Habakkuk for God to move by his power in Habakkuk's time. Some people uh, saw Habakkuk as a prophet of doom and gloom. And in many respects he was, but so was Jeremiah, so was Isaiah. You know, these, these guys, and, and why were they? Because the people were not listening. They closed their ears, they put their hand up and said, no, 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 don't want to hear it, la, 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 when God was speaking. Now listen, you and I both know how dangerous that is. But don't tell me you've never done it. Sometimes you've done it and didn't know you did it. Especially if something comes across negative or if something comes across where you have to change or someone is rebuking you, the first thing you do is go into defensive mode. You don't want to hear it and you're la, 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 la. Never thinking that maybe God is using someone to speak to you. Is that not true? Can we not be honest with ourselves and say that could be true? Now listen. Nobody wants to be around someone else who continually preaches about or, you know, talks about judgment or some type of an impending doom. I get that. The negative Nancy I get, and no fun toward any Nancys. But you understand what I'm saying, right? But if the judgment or doom is the truth, well, shouldn't we listen? Uh, right? I mean, Habakkuk prophesies about God's judgment upon the Israelites, and by his use of the Babylonian Empire, he tells them this is going to be bad. See, God was going to use Babylonia to put the hurt locker, if you will, on the Israelites, because they weren't listening. I mean, these are God's chosen people. These are the people, right, that he wants to deliver, not just out of Egypt, friends, but good night to heaven. He, right? It's, it's the peoples we all want to be a part of. Amen? Well, when you're not listening, you know, God sometimes has to bring us to our lowest point so that we got nowhere else to go. You understand? And Lord knows I've been at my lowest point before. And sometimes it's God who's brought me there. You know? And of course I don't like it any more than you do. But if God needs to get my attention so that I don't end up in that group that's going through the wide gate, called the goats well good night i better listen amen i want to be part of the sheep don't you i want to go through the narrow gate that jesus is talking about and it's easy to not sure be not sure sometimes if you're a sheep or a goat it's easy it's easy to get caught up in it but then Habakkuk goes along and prophesies about God's judgment upon the Babylonians themselves. In other words, whoever was going to uh, put the hurt locker on the Israelites is also going to get a hurt locker on them. Why? Because God is just. Every time. Now you see, many scholars see this repeating throughout the church age as prophecy about Satan and the church. And perhaps it is. I'm, I'm not going to pass judgment on it one way or the other. I can see the similarities of it. And I know... That Satan's going to get his. Right? Anybody who, who knows that? God uses Satan and his army of demons on his own people. The Bible's clear that he does. Okay? And I, friends, I'm telling you. But sometimes, while God's doing it, you know, other times, Satan's just doing it on his own. Right? Lord knows I've done business with him. Anybody? And so Habakkuk sees this, and he pleads continually with the people, declaring this danger and the consequences of the sin that they're involved in. And then he sees it, and he sees this big picture, and all of a sudden he begins to pray for revival. After God speaks to him, tells him this is what's going to happen, Habakkuk says, oh, Lord, 
I've heard about your fame. I've heard about the things that you've done. I know that they're good and bad. When you've blessed your people, they were blessed. And when you've cursed them, <laughs> they were under a serious curse. And Lord, we need your help right now. We, we need your movement. I would like to see you do the amazing things you used to do now. Right? But be merciful, <laughs> right, when you do it, good or bad. Amen? In other words, if the people ought to be blessed, then do it. If they need to be rescued, rescue them. But if they need to have your wrath come down upon them to get their attention, then may it be so. Now, that's hard to do to pray that for your people, isn't it? And that's exactly what he's doing. You see, the thing we have to realize is that he prayed for revival during an incredibly difficult time. Much like our time is right now. Is anybody drawing those lines? Huh? I tend to do that. We're, we're, we're dot connectors, aren't we? We're dot connectors. As a kid, I remember connecting the dots, right, by the numbers. Yeah? We, because n numbers on a page don't mean much, but when you draw lines, now you got a picture. Everybody wants to connect the dots, and we want to do it today. We look at uh, people, are, some people are numerical people within the Scripture, trying to see some picture based on numerics. Some people want to see how it goes together by drawing this prophecy to that prophecy, and oh, here's a picture. Everybody wants to know what's going to happen. Right? Now, come on. Be honest. You know you do. You see, friends, we have to understand something. It's far easier to pray for revival when society or the church is interested in it. When they realize their need for it. Or they are at least open to it. But none of those things was true in Habakkuk's time. People didn't see their need for it. They weren't open to it. And they certainly <laughs> weren't interested in it. But Habakkuk prays anyway. And I have to tell you that I'm not sure we're interested today. I'm not sure we see our need for it. And I'm not sure we're even open to it sometimes. Now, I do think there are Christians who do see the need for it. But it appears to me that many don't. So because our time is so similar to Habakkuk's time, I'd like to take a look this morning uh, at this moving prayer by a desperate prophet and a man of God. And maybe, just maybe, we can begin to see some desperate prayers by men and women of God in our time. And I want you to break down this prayer with me just for a second. Notice it is a prayer of fear. It comes from fear. Now, there's not a lot in the scripture to be fearful of because the Bible says do not fear. Okay, but there are good fears. Fears that, that say we ought to respect God. Fears that we ought to respect what God's going to do because it's going to be rough on some people. You understand that? He says, I have heard the report about you when I was afraid. This is one of those times when Bible translations differ a little. The NIV says it is awe. And for sure, the Greek word can be translated in that way. It can be awe. But it's also translated fear, and I prefer this word because I think that's what Habakkuk was trying to say. Most scholars agree that fear is definitely what they believe Habakkuk was trying to implore to us. He was afraid. He was scared for people, not for himself. He was scared for the people that he knew were outside, right, of God's favor. Amen? Now, you know somebody, maybe a group of people, maybe a lot of people that are outside of God's favor, and that will make you very fearful because you know what they're going to go through. Amen? Amen? Amen. Would that make anybody fearful? Even your enemies, my friends, right? Habakkuk saw judgment coming to the people. He simply wasn't awed. He was also afraid. Now, one might be awed by the 
outside of something, whether it's fireworks or music or some sort of talent, right? But fear and awe together are very different. So why was Habakkuk afraid as well as awed? Well, their sins were mounting. They were growing. They were getting ever worse. Right? And God's law demanded judgment, as it does today. Right? Has God said, because of the New Testament, because of Jesus, that there's not going to be judgment? Well, did he? Friends, did he? Hello? Did he? Some of you know, some of you don't. Did God say that there would be no judgment? No! Wake up over here. Guys, you got to listen. Either that or you don't know your scripture. Right? Jesus is the answer. And he's the way out. But if you don't accept him and are not obedient to him, judgment is going to be a place you're going to see and you don't want to. I'm telling you. You do know that, right? Now, I know there's preachers out there saying there is no hell and no judgment. They're false. They're liars. That's heresy. I'm telling you. Now, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to hear any names. Okay? But I'm telling you, the Word of God says there will be judgment. And there will be the multitude of people who are called the goats. Jesus talked about them. Go through the wide gate. Right? And they will stand before the great white throne of judgment, the revelation Jesus himself said is going to come. You understand that? Friends, I have to tell you, Habakkuk knew that there was going to be this judgment in his day. God's judgment is certainly cause for fear, amen? I can't imagine. The Bible tells us that people, when judgment comes, will, want, will wish for the mountains to fall upon them to hide from him. That's what it says. Now, if it weren't true, would it be there? No. Okay? And the way it's going to be carried out <laughs> ought to fill us with fear as well as awe. I'm telling you. The Babylonians were to be God's instruments of this particular judgment, and they were a people that would strike fear into anyone, I, I assure you. And I can tell you that because within the Babylonian Empire was this little faction of people called the Chaldeans, and they were bad to the bone. The Babylonian Empire themselves were scared to death of them. That's why they made friends with them and said, hey, you just be part of our kingdom, and we won't mess with you. That was wise. Okay? Because I'm telling you, in later days, these Chaldeans rolled into this group called the Saxons. And the Saxons were all, <laughs> I'm telling you, they were all that the world could handle at that time. They were the meanest, strongest, most difficult, most ruthless fighters the world had ever known. And the Roman Empire struggled with them. It took them years to defeat them because these people were ruthless. The strongest army the world had ever seen. Struggled for years in Germania with these people. They just wouldn't go away. And they weren't afraid neither. Now they eventually beat them. But they had to kill every last one of them. Now I'm telling you, friends, these were bad boys. These were, I'm telling the women were bad. <laughs> okay? We're talking about people, you, you couldn't imagine what these people would do. I, 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 think, I think the Israelites were scared to death of them. You should be. Now, I have to tell you, fear and awe. Awe at how they did it and fear of what they're going to do. Why? Well, here's the thing. If you look at it from God's point of view, sin always brings severe consequences. Anybody in here know that? Sin always brings severe consequences. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes? Amen. Now, friends, Satan doesn't want us to see sin as a serious problem. Anybody figured that out yet? He doesn't want you to see sin as a serious problem, uh, and he doesn't want you to see that it brings severe consequences. In fact, he wants you to believe just the opposite. He wants you to believe that there is going to be no consequences. 
He wants you to believe there's going to be no hell. Now, when people tell me, well, doesn't Satan live in hell? No, he's never been there. Because hell, as it's going to be, does not exist yet. But it will. And it's going to be the final resting place for those who are outside of God. And friends, Jesus said, you shall not want to see it. I believe him. If Jesus said, I don't want to see it, I'm with him. Anybody? I'm not, I'm not going to play the game and say, well, I don't know. Right? This is Christ. You don't want to see it. And you know what? We, we can prove this fact that he doesn't want us to see the consequences. He doesn't want us to see that sin's a serious problem. We can prove it by watching what has happened in society over the last 30 years. Let's think about it together. Notice how even on television, the things that you wouldn't even think about are now commonplace. What about how society looks at certain things right now? We don't seem to care too much about things that were totally wrong before. Homosexuals are not only coming out and practicing, but demanding the society accept this practice, even though the Bible says absolutely not. Absolutely not. And people say to me, well, that's Old Testament. No, it's New Testament too. Read Romans 1, you'll see. Okay? You know, this is what this shocks me. I don't, I'm not, I don't want to speak out too much on this, but I'm going to tell you something. In the same paragraph, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. In Leviticus, it says, A man shall not lie with another man as a man lies with a woman. And nor shall he lie with an animal as he lies with a woman, for this is detestable to God. Well, they're in the same paragraph. But somehow we'll separate them and say, well, one's bad and the other's not. God doesn't say that. Does it matter if you love a person of the same sex or you love your animal? They're both detestable. So who gives us the right to decide which is right, which, which one isn't? God says both are wrong. Now, you can be upset with me all day if you want. I'm just telling you. That's what it says. I'm the messenger. Okay? So we need to understand this, you see. Go back to the Word of God. More than that, we're trying to make everybody believe that this is natural and even preferred. We did it in our schools. I watched it happen. I watched it happen. And Vigo County schools succumbed to it, and all the other schools around us didn't. You didn't know that, right? Friends, listen, it's happening. We now have abortion on demand as a form of birth control. Instead of being responsible, never mind moral, all of that is against the Word of God. You understand? That's just two things. It's just two things. And there's a lot more. And listen, I'm not saying one sin's worse than another because it isn't. I'm telling you that we've taken the Word of God, thrown it in the trash can, and said, but it seems right to me, so okay. And we'll use our own human understanding and our own human justification to say, this is why. And when someone tells me, well, who's going to take care of that child then? Does it matter? Here's what I say. I'm very sensitive to this. And you know why? You ask any adopted child if they'd rather have been aborted. I know what they're going to tell you. Because I are one. And God told me, it doesn't matter that you're adopted. For I know the plans I have for you. It doesn't matter how I came to be. It doesn't matter how you came to be. Because, because I was born out of wedlock doesn't mean that I'm any less significant in God's sight than you are. Or anybody else. God can take that life and do amazing things with it. And if my mother would have made the wrong choice, I wouldn't be here today. Okay, I'm, but I'm not the only one. I'm telling you. And we will justify it and say, well, you know, they're going to go through a rough time or we can't take care of them. We can't. Listen. God doesn't think that way. God doesn't act that way. For he knows the plans he has. In fact, let's look at the sanctity of human life. Let's take a real close look at that. It's not just abortion, you know. 
I remember the days when high school students had rifles and shotguns in their trucks on racks because I was one of them. Drove to school, locked up my truck, sure, but I had a shotgun hanging on a rack, and nobody thought anything about it. You know why? Because I wouldn't even dream about going to school and start shooting at people because it was a different time. We didn't do that. Nobody ever considered a shooting another person for any reason. You did, because they're a human. You wouldn't do it. It's murder. It doesn't matter what you're thinking or feeling. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. That's not the answer. Right? Now everyone worries about somebody going off the deep end and shooting a bunch of people today. Why would someone do that? Well, you know why? Because Satan has us to the point that human life isn't that precious anymore. He's done it. I'm telling you, he's done it. But the experts, you notice I put it in quotes, the experts, well, they don't want to blame it on societal degradation. They don't want to, they don't, they want to blame it on mental health. Or they don't want to blame it just on purability. No, they want to blame the guns. Well, if there are no guns, they'll find another way to do it. You understand that? Friends, when, when President Kennedy was shot, nobody blamed the gun. You do understand that, right? Why are we now? Do I think we need to have responsible gun control? Yes, I do. I think there are certain people that ought not own a gun. And I think everybody, it, it isn't just a background check. People need to go through this check. Okay? And if you have guns available and somebody who's got a mental problem gets a hold of your gun and uses it, then you're responsible. It's real simple. You have responsibility to keep it safe. But gun isn't the problem. Let's face what is the problem. It's sinful moral degradation. That's the problem. You understand? Do you understand now how our society today has become so deplorable that we no longer care about sinfulness nor the consequences? We want to blame everything but the problem. It's, it's becoming an epidemic. Another thing is the cross itself and what happened on it declares the seriousness of sin. We have to understand what God had to do to get us out of this thing called sin. It's, it's, a, it's a doozy. I mean, wouldn't you agree? I mean, Jesus, the Son of God, had to go through what he did and die that way. I'd say sin is very serious to God. <laughs> Consider what he had to do. Consider that an innocent man with no sinfulness in him, the only one, okay, died in this horrific way, spilling his blood violently, simply because the debt of sin had to be paid. So important and so serious was it to God that he not only gave his son to do it, he sent his son to do it? I'd say that makes it serious. What do you think? Is this, is this coming clear to you yet? I told you this is brutal. And this leads to a very important question. Are there sins in our lives today that might bring judgment? I mean, something that we haven't allowed the blood of Christ to absolve us of because we keep doing it? It's a fair question, isn't it? You see, the spilling of Christ's blood doesn't absolve you of sin unless you turn from it and ask for forgiveness. There you go. Oh, right? You got to stop. Jesus told every single one of the people he came into contact with, now stop your sinning. Didn't he? Now come on. But the devil wants you to believe, no, no, no. That's not what happened. But it is what happened. There are Christians out there in churches today that don't think that. They think that if you love God and that God loves you, well, grace, you know. Not so much, friends. Not so much. Now, I'm not here. Again, I'm not trying to be a, a we, we already use negative nasty. It's Debbie Downer. Ain't Debbie's in here? I don't want to be a downer to you. I don't want to be doom and gloom. But I want, what I do want to do is get you to understand the truth here. You have to see what's going to happen. And what Satan is trying to convince you isn't happening. You understand? I'm going to take God at his word, not Satan. Anybody? I know who I believe and am persuaded that he is able. Amen? You know the hymn, right? Who remembers that hymn? Okay? 
sin is serious to God. Okay? So, consider the immorality. Consider the violence, the corruption, and the intolerance in our society today. You see, see, one side says, you have to be tolerant. But they're not tolerant of our belief system. They want us to tolerate what they want to do. But they're not tolerant of our adhesion to the Word of God. See, the door only swings one way for them. Now, I'm not going to point fingers at any particular political party, but it's happening. Okay? Say, think what you want. Say what you want. I'm watching it happen. They, they've done it to me. I've seen it. I have to be tolerant, but they don't. See, see, to them, tolerance is you agree with them. That's tolerance. No, it isn't. That's not tolerance. And then consider, friends, that all of this stems from this massive takeover of self-centeredness in our society today. Because that's really what's happened. Now, now, now I, I need you to really focus in here for a second. Laser in on me just for a minute. Well, probably the rest of the sermon, but I, I need you to laser in. I want you to grasp this. You can even write this down. I'm going to go fast. But you can write these things down. You see, <laughs> we begin to notice how it happens. And it, it isn't real hard to get caught up in it, you know. Because people are more than self-centered. Are you ready? We are self-appointed. We are self-important. We are self-righteous. We are self-serving. We are self-indulgent. We are self-confident. We are self-proclaimed. Self-promoting. And we are absolutely self-absorbed. And the list goes on and on and on and on, you know. But the common denominator here, and what you should have heard in this list, is a lot of self. And again, I didn't mention all of them. Friends, self is a dangerous thing because it easily becomes a goal of life. And then, once it's a goal of life, it turns into a lifestyle. You might want to write that down. Pastor Jonathan, we might want to put that somewhere. Self, in quotes, is dangerous because <laughs> it easily becomes a goal of life. And when it becomes a goal, it turns into a lifestyle. And that is exactly what Satan is hoping you will do. He would rather you be all about him. But he'll take it if you're all about you. Because if you're all about you, you can't be all about God. You understand that? This is his aim, you see. He can't get very many people to praise him and be all about him. But he can get them easily to become about self. Okay? And you know and I know that this society proves it. Again and again. Anybody had to be proven that fact? I doubt it. And friends, when it becomes a lifestyle, that is sinful. Because if we are self-anything, if you are self-anything, then you aren't godly in whatever area that is. Hmm. And again, this is sinful. So listen carefully. Unconfessed sin of any sort separates us from God. Unconfessed sin of any sort separates us from God. Notice I said any sort. And when we confess, then we also must turn from whatever it is, because if we do not, there's no forgiveness. You can't be forgiven for what you're still doing. You understand that? You can be forgiven for transgressions that you've already done. And when you turn from them, you're no longer doing them. Amen. So that's where forgiveness comes in, not while you're still doing them. I think Christians are sorely mistaken when they believe that grace covers continued sinful activity when there is no turning from it. Believe it, friends. We think that. Now, are there 
sometimes when grace covers continued sin? Yes, I believe there are. Yes. But it would have to be that you didn't know it. Right. So you're not accountable. Or secondly, God knows your heart and you're trying desperately to turn from it. And he knows whether you are or not. You can, tell, you can tell me you're trying. And believe me, people told me I'm trying. And I know they're not. Okay? And you can't tell God that. Because God knows. If you, because it depends on what's in here. He knows your desire. So if you're really trying to change, if you've got an addiction of some sort, and you're trying, okay, I get it. I believe God's grace does cover. But for how long? And at what point does God know inside here that you have no, no intention of stopping or changing? Now we got a problem, don't we? Okay? Now we can argue all day long about when that is, and it's not my call. It's His call. And you better believe He's going to make it. Anybody? Okay. Just saying. So here's the million-dollar question. Are we concerned enough about our sins to pray for revival? Oh, right? Jonathan, we might want to put that up. Are we concerned enough about the sins of society to pray for revival? Here's a better question. Are we concerned enough about the sins in the church that will pray for revival? Now, there, there, there's a question, isn't it? See, there's some things that's changed over the last 50, 60 years about how we do revival and what it is. But I'll tell you what hasn't changed. We still need it. Okay? Okay? I don't think you're ever going to get younger people to come in to a, a, you know, a camp meeting the last three or four days when it's burning hot and everybody's dripping with sweat and somebody's up on the pulpit screaming, hollering, and doing all this kind of stuff and saying, repent or die. Well, you're probably not going to get anybody that way. We used to. Not anymore. But revival is still necessary. And it's the same thing. It doesn't matter to me how revival comes as long as it does. Anybody? I'll take it any way I can get it. Anybody with me? I'll take revival in the church any way I can get it. <laughs> right? Right? I don't care what kind of music it is. I don't care what kind of preaching it is. I don't care what God has to do. If he'll bring it, I'm in. <laughs> Anybody? Right? I don't care if it's just as I am or if it's one of the brand new choruses we're singing. I don't care. I don't care. As long as it comes. <laughs> you with me here? That's it. So even if society isn't concerned, shouldn't the church be? I mean, are you, are you grasping it? Am I the only one that's getting this? I have an aha moment for you. Everybody, everybody likes an aha moment, right? Are you ready? You sure? Just like the truth of finality in one choice or another. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Concerning right or wrong. There's a finality in a choice of right or wrong. Do you understand that? Which is actually, if you really want to translate it, life or death. Okay? Wrong choices are death. Amen? Right choices are life. Everybody in here knows that, correct? Okay? God says there's either going to be revival or there's going to be retribution. Put that down, Jonathan. God says there's either going to be revival or there's going to be retribution. Now, which one do you choose? I mean... Friends, it's that point blank. He says it right here. This is what he's talking about. There's going to be revival in the heart of people, or there's going to be a retribution. It happened throughout history, all the way through the Old Testament. And I dare say, we're coming to a, a crux in a, in, in a, in a, a place in, in the end of the New Testament is going to happen. Read Revelation, you'll know what I'm talking about. We're getting there. We're marching toward it. Amen? I'm telling you. Which is it going to be for us? Revival or retribution? You tell me. We should completely understand why Habakkuk was afraid. Glory. And why he saw the necessity yes. to pray in his time. Yes. Thank you. Do we in our time. <laughs> right? See, a sermon like this, a message like this is so necessary today. It is. Not everybody wants to hear it. It's people. It's people. But it's people. God's saying, wake up. It's, people. It, it's your time. This is also a prayer, friends, secondly, that requests a revival. Well, let's talk about revival. I, 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 can't, I can't get out of this without talking about revival. He says, oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. Now, in other words, do things like you did before. You see, Habakkuk knows that God has done all these amazing things within his people, and he's asking God to do it again. Now, I, I touched on that briefly earlier, but I want to hit it again. 
Have you ever wondered, friends, why God doesn't seem to do all those incredibly amazing things that the Bible records that he did in the Old Testament? Have you ever wondered that? Well, I'm not going to give you the absolute answer here because I don't know. But I think I have an idea about some of it. There are reasons, I think. Now, first of all, if the people don't want it, I don't think God really seems to want to move. Right? I look in the Old Testament, and if nobody stood up and asked God to move, he didn't. If the people didn't fall prostrate before him and say, oh, God, and humble themselves before him. The Bible's full of that. Humble yourself before the Lord. He'll move. But when you don't, what's he going to move for? You don't want it. I mean, think about it, friends. Why would God do miraculous things if his creation doesn't want it? Does that make sense to you? Why would he bring revival when his church doesn't pray for it? Jonathan, that might be another one. Why would God bring revival if his church didn't pray for it? Huh? I wonder if we're returning to the days of Abraham and Lot when God couldn't find even one righteous person in certain cities. Maybe we haven't really gotten there yet, friends. But I do think that you can see that we're moving rapidly in that direction. This is what happened in Habakkuk's time. And so Habakkuk sees revival as their only hope. He's exhausted everything else, and so God's the only answer, and he knows it. You know, we've done that before. We've exhausted everything that we have, and then we turn to God when there's nothing else. Who's done that? You see what I'm talking about here? There isn't anything that mankind could have done at this point. They had already made an unrecoverable mess in their lives and in their nation. And because of this, Habakkuk believes that revival must come from God. And so, he is pleading with God for the Holy Spirit to convict the people. To convict the people of what? Well, their sinfulness. He just wants them to understand that everything isn't okay. But we go through life thinking everything's just okay. Or we'll say, or the devil makes us believe, well, you know, I've tried, I can do anything about it, so, you know, heck, heck with it. Friends, really? Since when did God ever give you permission to stop trying to make a difference in the world? When did he ever cancel the Great Commission? That's my point. So, Satan's got our ear somehow, doesn't he? You prayed so much, you can't pray anymore, right? And yet the Bible indicates that we ought to pray as long as we have life and breath. Amen? Okay, so who are we listening to? You, you, you see what I'm talking about here, kids? It's real simple. You see, we have to understand, and they had to understand, that there are, there are sinners in the world, and sinners are separated from God, they're separated from God's grace, and that death is absolutely inevitable eternal death my friends he is praying for people then and even now to repent and to do what turn to God there's the thought turn to God do you think friends that the church sees spiritual revival as our only hope today because I'm not convinced I think we used to I think there were days, listen, I, 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 don't, I didn't do well with those days of the banging and screaming and all that. I, I didn't do well with that. It didn't, it, didn't, it didn't mean anything to me, okay? But I'll tell you, during that time, people saw that that was the only way. That the, the revival was the only way. And I don't know today that we do. I think the changes in the church, some of them were really good. But some of them have really taking us away from the crux of the matter. We re they really have, friends. Because here's the thing. Do you think the church sees spiritual revival as our only hope, or do you think it's possible that we put our hope in how we feel? Programs that we like. Popularity. Ear-tickling. Okay? 
and things of that nature. Because that's how I see churches today. That's how I see, and the result of the Christians I see coming out of that tells me all I need to know. Because here's what happened. Here we come full circle. When you do that, self is right in the midst of your Christianity. It's the music that I want to hear. It's the kind of preaching I want to hear. It's the kind of people I want to be around. It's what I want to think and believe as it relates to Christianity. You see how dangerous that is? It's now a dangerous, friends. It's a finality. You've made your decision. And I think the day is going to come when Jesus is going to turn to us and say, what you do, do quickly. He did, it, he did it to Judas, and he's going to do it to you and me. I really, I mean, I, I, it's not going to happen exactly that way, I don't think. But Jesus says, don't be hot or cold. Don't, 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 don't act one way and be something else. Right? Don't, don't, don't do that. It's worthless. Well, you're a paraphrasing. Yeah, but I understand the concept, and I hope you do too. And so I began to think about this, and I thought, which of these things better describes the church of today? Is it that we see revival as our only hope, or do we want what we want in a church? One that sees a need for revival, or one that loves to feel good about itself? Which, which church are we serving today? Which church are we growing today? Which church is, well, uh, let me ask you this question. Which type of church are the largest ones and draw the most people? I'm asking. Now, you could find it both ways. I'm not picking on large churches. Don't hear me say that. Okay? Don't hear me say that because I'm not. Because there are some very spiritual large churches. But I can tell you this. There are also churches, and I know a lot of large ones, people that I know want what they want. They want to slide in or slide out, and they check a box. I can call them out. I've done it. But you know what they tell me? Oh, that's your opinion. But what happens when it's God's opinion? Well, they want to hear that. Hence, what they've chosen. That's who we are. You see, friends, Habakkuk sees the first one, the one that knows a revival is the only hope. And so what does he do? Well, he cries out for revival to get this, arrive in time. <laughs> he said, Lord, would you do it in time? In time for what? Glory. Notice he says, in the midst of the years, the revival would come before the end of years. In other words, before the end of time. Why? Why? Well, Habakkuk doesn't know when the end of time is. It was so bad, he thought it was pretty soon. He thought, he thought it was coming pretty soon. All right, now he was wrong about that, but he understood the gravity of it. And I'm not sure in the church we understand the gravity of the end of time, friends. I believe the end of time is pretty soon. Anybody? I believe it is. And look what he says here. He, he does it because he knows that the countdown to judgment is proceeding which will end time as we know it. Dear friends, if you've ever needed an ambulance or a, a, a paramedic in an emergency, you always hope that it arrives in time. You always hope that we can get people to a hospital in time. Amen? Amen. This is a fact. Why? For what reason? To stave off death. To keep that person from dying a physical death. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Habakkuk wants to stave off spiritual death. And now I'm not sure it's really that important in the church today. Let me tell you why. My observations tell me that most people in the church today are more concerned about staving off physical death rather than their spiritual death for themselves and others. It was true in Habakkuk's day, and it seems to be true in our day. My question is, is it true for you? This is, this is where the metal meets the meat. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you have to have a one-on-one -on -one with God and say, which am I, Lord? And be honest, because he'll tell you. You see, I understand this society does this. I understand the society doesn't know what we know, so they're all about staving off physical death and preserving physical life. Amen? I, I get it. I understand why. It's simple. But why in the church? When 
the church puts physical death as a greater concern than spiritual death, it makes me wonder what kind of church we actually are. Jesus was clear about this. When he was, when he was tempted in the wilderness, he said, listen, it would be better to die and have communion with God, die of starvation and, and, or for any reason, and have communion with God than it would be to fill my belly and die of spiritual death and be separated from God. That's what he said. Do you think that's true for you and me? Think about it. Have you put more effort into your physical life than you have into your spiritual life? And before you answer it, you better be honest. Because I'm going to tell you something. If I was a betting person, and I'm not, most people in the church today are more concerned and put more effort in their physical life than they are into the spiritual one. Just take a day, take one day, and map out every hour of your life. Start there. Then go down to the minutes after that. See how you do. Now, now, right? See, we don't want to hear that. This is one of those things where we want to talk to the hand again, right? That we talked about earlier. But be honest with yourself, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So hopefully, you can see, friends, why we need to have a sense of urgency concerning our prayers for revival in our time. You see? And I say, you know, let's look at what Habakkuk said. He said, may God awaken us to the importance of revival in our time. He wanted it in his time. We need it in our time. May we cry out to God that revival arrives, what? In time. In time. You see, friends, I think Christians want to study Revelation because they want to know what will happen. And they're trying to gain insight into when it will happen. When we should be putting our efforts into understanding why it will happen. Because if we do, it will compel us to pray and cry out to God that revival arrives in time, in our time. Okay? That might be another quote, Jonathan. I gave you about eight. Friends, Okay, I didn't steal these from anybody. These are mine. Because God said, hey, wake them up. And you know what? I don't care who said it. I want people to hear it. Amen? Lastly, it is a prayer, according to Habakkuk, acknowledging and respecting the wrath of God that's going to come. See, we have Christians out there that think there's going to be no wrath. Because I'm a New Testament Christian, and Jesus is all about love. Yep. And he's also one with the Father. And the Father says there will be judgment. And you know what, friends? The Father will reserve judgment for those outside of him. But the Son, will all, all Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, now it's going to be a different judgment, mind you. But you're going to have to stand before. Don't tell me there's not going to be any. No, I was clear about both. Amen? How many of you, how many of you look, raise your hands, either online or here or at Mecca, raise your hands if you know that there's going to be judgment for both sides. Who knows it? Does the Bible say it? Yep. Yes, it does. So it's kind of hard to say there's going to be none. Amen? So we've got to get that you know, straight right off the bat. But notice Habakkuk's concern. He says, in wrath, remember mercy or have mercy. God can give mercy, yes. Okay? But the reason Habakkuk asks for it is he knows what's coming. He knows the wrath of God is on its way. He hears the march in his time of the Babylonian warriors. And not only does he fear the earthly judgment to come, he fears the divine judgment. And I wonder if we hear the march of the armies of God. Because they're going to come with him, you know, at the Battle of Armageddon. You understand that, right? Yes, 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 Heaven's armies are going to come with Christ, and he's going to come in the white charger, and his robe is going to be dipped in blood, and on his leg is going to have the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's going to have the eyes that pierce into every soul and know everything about you. And he's going to have a sword of truth that comes out of his mouth, and like that, he's going to show who was truthful and who wasn't. That's going to happen. You wanted, I mean, for those of you who wanted to know, I just told you. But there's a lot more to it than that, you know. Okay? You see, you should want to know why. To me, why is more important than what? Because none of that has to happen. Zero. But it will because people have made their choice. The wrath of God, friends, is as real today as it was in Habakkuk's time. 
You do know that, right? But see, we're in a church of a different time now. That's what we'll say. We're more enlightened now. No, we're dumber than we were before. Because we're more ignorant than we were before. Because Satan has has more control than he did before. And the more control he has, the less we get up here. Understand that? He will desensitize you to the things of the Spirit. To the word of truth. He will desensitize you to it. And make you focus on things that won't matter. He's good at it, you see. Do you really think you can go up against him and win? Alone? You won't. Now, here's the thing. Romans 1.18, Paul says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Now, this is New Testament. Right? So, those people that are Old Testament don't believe that. Just, I'm a New Testament. Well, here's your New Testament quote. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, that's Satan, friends. He's being called out right there. In Revelation, Jesus says, for those who have an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says, get this, to the churches. The churches. Why would he have to tell the churches this? Because the churches aren't getting it. Because the churches are no different than the rest of society. Because the churches have changed what God has said, and they're living something different. Come on, that's, it. that's why. That's it. That's it. You really want to know what Revelation says? It says that. That might be the most important words in the entire book. That's it. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. The Spirit doesn't speak to those outside the church. It speaks to those in the church. And you need to have an ear to hear what the Spirit's telling you. The wrath of God is coming. It's being revealed from heaven against all wickedness. Paul says, but the church is trying to suppress it by their own wickedness. My goodness. Friends, these are not my words. They're right there. Do we know what's coming? Do we see the wrath of God on its way? Because to me, it doesn't appear that we do. Do we hear the march of the armies of the Lord? Here it is again. The first time, maybe it didn't mean much to you. This time, maybe it does. Do you hear the march of the armies? It doesn't appear that we do. Do we fear the final judgment of God's wrath? It doesn't appear that we do. In fact, it appears that we, like the Israelites, fear an earthly judgment more than a heavenly one. And this is proven, my friends, by the fact that we want to know what is going to happen more than we want to be ready for when it does. You see? So, can I share one more fear with you before we close this? In this nation, we don't seem to fear an earthly judgment either. We take our freedoms and our liberties for granted, and I'm telling you, we've proven that in the last year. <laughs> you just gave them up. Okay? Now, you can be mad at me all you want, but I'm telling you what I see. And what we're doing is falling directly in line with what Revelation says is going to happen. I'm watching it up here before my eyes, friends. We're setting it up for the Antichrist to take and seize power, and he can't do that unless people are willing to give up their freedoms. I'm telling you. Having said that, I don't think I really need to elaborate on that much. But I will tell you this. If we are indifferent to an earthly judgment, how could we possibly be concerned about a heavenly one? And this should be a wake-up call for all of us, friends, because if not, if not for us, then what about our loved ones? What about our friends? What about our neighbors? According to Jesus, what about your enemies? All of the lost. And as our worship team comes, friends, Habakkuk knew, and Scotty, you can, you can go forward too. Habakkuk knew that mercy was their only hope. And I have to tell you, I think it's no different today. Friends, no matter how scientifically, educationally, or militarily adept we think we are. The mercy of God is our only hope. And the good news is God is indeed merciful. The gospel proves God's mercy to all of us. And so 
If God is merciful, then what's the big deal? What's the urgency? Because mercy requires that someone is actually sorry for what they've done and wants to change it, you see. So one last question. Will we respond to the mercy that God offers in time? On this eve of the Easter season in 2021, I hope that you have used this Lenten time, this season of Lent, as a self-denial period where it brings you closer to God by keeping your eyes focused upon Him and spending more time with Him and putting yourself on the back burner as you come forward. It's going to happen when you get the new body. Maybe you can experience it now by bringing your spirituality to the forefront of everything that you do. Set the physicality on the back burner for a minute and let the, let the spiritual come forward. That's going to be that way anyway. So why not practice for heaven now? Let your spirituality be the forefront, be the one that you feed the most before anything. And you're going to see, friends, the difference it makes like that in your life. I assure you, we need to seek God and prepare for the resurrection of life in Jesus Christ. Notice the self-denial is completely opposite of all the other selves that I listed that we usually and typically buy into. How many selves were there in there? Ten? I don't know. Twelve? I didn't even list them all. Okay? But that's who we are. We're self today. Self's dangerous. Remember what self does. Self becomes a goal of life. And when it becomes the goal of life, it becomes your lifestyle. That's that's dangerous. It's dangerous. So you can begin today to receive Jesus in the manner and way that will not only bring revival to you, but because revival is in you, it will bring it to others around you, you see. And may God be praised for his love toward us. Get this, my friends, in our time. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com. 